you know and and i was i was surprised that someone had actually taken it on as as as, as a documentary and, I think and i've seen that one is that spellbound yeah yeah yes, i think that yes. may, that may be the one that we were watching and and i thought you know I thought about things that I loved and things that I was passionate about, and I felt like there was a certain amount of neglect going on with uh, swords and particularly sword-related martial arts. Right. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd seen a lot of history-type things on the History Channel and, and Discovery Channel, but I, I really hadn't seen anyone tell the story of the sword and kind of step back from it and look at, look at sort of the mosaic, if you will, of 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 the sword and and maybe what kind of message we might be getting from it and where we are today and and how that fits into Hollywood culture and 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 our psychology of um of the symbol of the sword right right um so that's the birth of it you, how and this was a three year process I mean you said three years ago you were watching this documentary and you decided this is this the culmination of three years worth of work mm-hmm. yeah wow. yeah it is. It, it really is uh, three three years uh, full <laughs> three full years. Man, you you spanned the globe with this thing. Yeah, it kind of grew on us. Um, I should say that it, it really began with uh, research that I was doing for for a movie. Um, I, I, I wrote a script. I was working on a script, finishing it up about uh, three years ago. Um, it's called Glastonbury Isle of Light, and we just signed director. David Mickey Evans, who did Sandlot and Radio Flyer, so I'm oh, real wow. excited about yeah. that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool, and so we're hoping to begin uh, production um, this year, pre-production. But um, in that movie, it's a sword and sandal epic that involves a lot of battle scenes and a lot of sword action and fighting. And I, I felt like when I was writing the script and writing some of these battle scenes, I thought, well, you know, maybe I should understand swordplay a little bit more from a historical perspective. So. Um, you know, rather than going to the archives in Rome and, you know, traveling all over, I went on the internet, as people do, to kind of research it. And I noticed that there was just a, a, a huge amount of forums and, and websites and groups and clubs all dedicated to uh, the resurgence of what they were calling historical European martial arts. So that, to me, kind of was, was kind of the, uh, the impetus, if you will, for the whole project. I saw these people, and I saw the passion that they had, and I knew there was a story there. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Well, now, um, the, what, how, uh, this thing, so this thing evolves out of you doing this study, doing this research, and before you know it, I mean, you're sitting down with Viggo Mortensen, you've got John Reese davies uh, narrating a documentary for you, you've, you're talking to Bob Armstrong, for crying out loud. I mean, you had, you assembled for this thing, you got in touch with some amazing people who have uh, not just a deep knowledge of because you know you, you come right out of the gate <laughs> kicking things off with with the sword in cinema, and, right? And you go from there to you're not just these great people who've been involved in sword play in cinema, but then you go to uh, just some scholars of uh, of the sword. I mean, it's just an amazing group of people you have on this documentary what who was the most fascinating person to talk to for you um yeah it's hard to say i think dr sydney anglo was one of my favorites for yeah. sure and um I, we were i was really glad to have him on board i i've never seen him on any any documentary uh, for history but he's such a he, he's at oxford and he's just such a just a really smart intelligent he's one of these these older gentlemen so you you get right. that 
you get that kind of that that history that he um, you know of of just you know being an academic for that long. He just has a, a way about himself, and and he really has a way of of uh, Dr. Sidney Angle. He really he really was able to kind of talk in layman's terms, if if you will. Yeah. Uh, which was which was great. You know, he was you know really, and and he had struggled himself with trying to understand why historians didn't actually try to better understand the sword because uh, historians themselves have really dropped the ball if you will and I, and I guess that's kind of what the film's about is is about um uh it's really a three-act play the first act we cover the glory of the sword and what better way to do that than to go look at the hollywood stuff and what fascinates us yeah and what really gets us excited and the second act we really lose the sword and that happens historically because of the gun being invented. Obviously, there's no need for the sword anymore. Right, right. It, it morphs and, and, and uh, evolves into something different. Historians don't quite understand it. They don't really talk about it correctly. Um, uh, and then the third act is really about today why we are re- reviving an interest in the sword and reviving an interest in the martial arts and reclaiming that history. So so that's kind of how, how it evolved and why we started with the Hollywood stuff because to me, in the first act of the film, I had to convince people why it's important for them to care about the sword. You know, I felt right, like yeah. just got to get all the glam and glitz out there yeah. and just show people, yeah, you know, really, there's there, this is a uh, something that's, uh, the sword is actually something that's been a part of our culture for, for uh, and a part of, you know, just the, the fabric of, of who we are socially even though we don't use the sword anymore, so that that was appealing to me. And um, but yeah, just to speak to the the celebrities and some of the big names, um, it really just kind of grew on us. It, we we didn't jump out the gate and say, all right, let's call Vigo, let's get you know Bob Anderson to come in here, the guy who was Darth Vader and trained Errol Flynn. It just kind of, you know, we got one piece at a time, and that's part of the reason why it was a labor of love that took three years. Yeah. Um, you know, initially I think we had uh, a a, a kind of a, a more limited scope of, of, of plan for the film and that, that just grew and, and, and it was okay to let it grow for me. I didn't mind waiting another year to put it out and then waiting another year to put it out because you know it was, it was all about getting the story right and really getting to the bottom of, 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 uh, of what the story was. Uh, all right, Daniel, just between you and me and the people who may or may not be listening to this podcast, you, when you get to that third act, the revival of the sword, now, just pulling the curtain back as I do on my podcast quite often. Sure. Was there anyone that just kind of freaked you out that you were talking to, um, with those reenactors and that sort of thing? Because that's where, when right. I'm watching the thing, I get to where I'm like, I bet there are just some people that you're just like, oh my, Lanta, what am I talking to? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, you know, I guess one of the hardest things was uh, there were some big personalities, and yeah. I think. I think anyone who who um, studies the sword seriously, uh, yeah, that, that takes a certain type of individual, um, you know, and, and a very charismatic individual. So one of the difficulties that I that I that I can speak to that I did run into is getting these martial artists to work together, because a lot of times um, with with the as I as I say the um, uh, just the um, I don't want to say egos, but I think you understand what I'm saying. I mean, there's just some big personalities. So getting getting some of these different uh, schools 
to work with each other and to talk to, and, and to be involved in the project. It's like, oh, well, he's in it. Well, I don't want to talk to you. You know, that kind of thing. So um, I had to be, I had to placate that. I had to, I had to be sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of just kind of uh, bring folks together. You know, why can't we all get along type thing? <laughs> you know, but I think, I think going and, and, and hanging out with the guys, the strangest bit for me was probably um, hanging out with the guys that do the reenactment. I, I love history. Right. Uh, so hanging out with the, if, with the guys that were, researching the manuals and into the martial arts of the sword you know I, i'm a geek too so to me i was kind of in my element so i wasn't like too uh you know shocked by these people but the reenactment people i kind of felt out, out of place a bit right. um with them because they're they're just straight up you know uh kind of re, you know reliving or or living out fantasy and stuff but very cool though in and of itself and we actually had to dress up in costume to even film them they had oh, like really a, yeah we went to one of their events and they had a bucket of costumes and they're just like you know everyone here needs to have a costume so if you don't have one <laughs> so we had to actually you know i felt like we were wolves in sheep's clothing you please know? tell me they were like forsooth and verily thou must throw right. on said <laughs> we were the ones in co in costume with the cameras but oh man um, but really, we had to do that to gain their trust. So it kind of sure. goes back to what I said. It was all about kind of gaining the trust of, of not only these academics and celebrities, but also the gaining the trust of of the uh, people that were extremely passionate about just yeah martial arts with the sword. Well, no one no one in the documentary was ever portrayed in a poor light at all. I mean, everyone it was a very positive look at mm -hmm. uh, at those people. And and my sensibilities are just as I'm watching particularly the reenactors, I was like, I don't know that I'd fit in with that crowd. Right. Um, that's all I'm saying there. That's all, yeah. that's all I'm talking about there is that, is that concept. Now, yeah. in the documentary, there is, you mentioned the Eastern martial arts some. You talk a little kendo, you talk that sort of thing. But it, there's a real focus on the European, the Western European martial arts. Sure. Uh, more so than what, when people hear the term martial arts, they think, you know, they go immediately to those Eastern, Japan, China, you know, those type of martial arts. Mm -hmm. uh, was that a conscious decision on your part, or is that just kind of the way the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a major theme of, of Reclaiming the Blade. Um, martial arts um, is, comes from uh, actually the god of war, which is Mars. Uh, and that's where we get martial arts. So right, right. It, it, it is the, it's, the, it's the arts of, of war. Of warfare, so so really, even I guess a, a jet fighter is uh, technology is more martial arts, um, <laughs> but um, but no, I mean um, no, absolutely. I mean again, um, I was I was researching a sword and sandal, so that sword and sandal Glastonbury takes place um, in, in Britain during the first century, so uh, that's where we get the the sandal part of it because it's it's ancient uh, Celtic. Yeah, Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they wore sandals or not. We'll have to research that. But, uh, but, but at any rate, um, ab absolutely. Reclaiming uh, the thong. Right. The history of the sandal. That's your next exactly. one. There's your next sure. documentary. Absolutely. I'll, I'm going to have to look into that one. But no, I mean, no, sure. I mean, that, that, was, that was, again, part of, part of my passion for the project was the fact that here was this, oh, this overlooked uh, martial art. But, again, not to... Not to um, you know uh, 
un unrecognized Eastern martial arts, which are, you know, phenomenal history. And what was interesting to me, you know, we did an interview with uh, a Japanese fellow that um, kind of like the, the expert on, on samurai uh, swords to, to the, in, in our time period. We don't live back when there are, there are no more real samurais, you know. Right. But um, this guy was as close as you could get. And what I found that was interesting is the Eastern martial arts kind of struggle with the same kind of problems that uh, Western martial martial arts struggle with, and that is there's um, there's there is a loss, you know. Um, they you know they really um, you know kendo and some of these other arts really aren't tapping into exactly what uh, the martial art was with the sword. So you know that that kind of fascinated me. I think the, again the whole loss and recovery, you know, and 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 particularly with fencing with Western martial arts and how that evolved into a sport yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. A, a way of protecting yourself. Yeah, there's an interesting story, and, 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 I'm, and I'm telling my listeners now, and I've, and I've been talking about it for a couple of days now, go pick up this documentary. Go, go see it. It is, it is worth your time. It's worth your money. Um, but there's an interesting story from one of the interviewees where he talks about he was fencing with a student from a, from a collegiate fencing team, Mm -hmm. And at one point, he he used his hand to bat away their foil, and he went in for the point. And they talked, and they said, "You can't do that. You're cheating." And he looked at him and said, "No, I'm not trying to get a point. I'm trying to kill you. That's that right. is what swordplay is all about." Yeah. Um, and, and and there is a moment where you take time in the documentary to talk about the idea that this is you know for as much as we've romanticized it in our culture mm -hmm. today. This is a brutal, brutal weapon. This is, oh, yeah. you know, this there's brutality behind, uh, behind the, yeah, taking a sword and, and running someone through. And, yeah. um, yeah. but at the but same the time, same. what do you think it is that that has? It's easy to forget that you're basically gutting someone <laughs> in a battle sure. with this thing. What what is it about the sword that that we romanticize? What why is it such a mm -hmm. now a I don't know, a fantastic notion uh, yeah. for our culture today to, to talk about the, the wielding and using of a sword, I guess. Sure. Well, you know, it certainly is. And I think the fact that um, uh, George Lucas incorporated uh, the saber into his, uh, you know, epic, you know, original trilogy, you know, speaks to the, the romantic, uh, you know, feelings that we have for the sword. I don't think Star Wars would have been Star Wars with, if you take the lightsaber out of it, you oh, know? sure, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. you know, so, I mean, here they are in the future, and they're not using guns, they're using swords. Right. So um, you're absolutely right, Steve. I mean, the sword does have that, that, that uh, you know, that romanticism attached to it. But, yeah, it is, it, it is a, killing, a killing weapon. Um, you know, with regards to the lightsaber, if I can give a quick plug, we're going to be actually giving away a lot of lightsabers. Oh, wow. The Force FX lightsabers. If you haven't seen these, uh, Master Replica was making them, and now Hasbro has the license for them. Yeah, yeah. And we've teamed up with Hasbro, and we're actually doing some cross-promotion, and I've got like a, a, a basement full of Force FX lightsabers, and we're giving these puppies away. Well, I hear you, Daniel. Yes, that's what I'm Yeah. Thinking. How do I get in on that? <laughs> um, just, stay, just stay tuned on the website, sure. and we're, we're actually going to be, we've been giving stuff away throughout the whole process of making the film. So we'll, we'll be doing giveaways, you know, in conjunction with some other people, and then doing them straight from our site. But, um, you know, if I could break uh, from that and talk about the DVD. We actually sure. are, have a two-disc 
edition, which I'd like to send out to you, Steve, because I know okay. you just saw the film. Yeah. The second disc has over four hours of special features. Oh, wow. So there's some really cool – there's actually over an hour worth of training videos and not only just stuff involving you know samurai blades and Western martial arts, but there's also some really cool stuff if you're into – um, the Watchmen or or Dark Knight. There's even some cool grappling type stuff in there. Oh, wow. You know, so there's some. You know, if you've got a bully that you're dealing with, there's some great little <laughs> techniques to uh, you know to learn how to do some of that stuff. Um, that's what fascinated me about the Watchmen. If I you know just to get on another tangent, but yeah, go for that. those yeah, that's guys, what this show's about, sir. You go for it. No, Watchmen's cool because the, you know I saw the movie and and you know whatever you think of it, I think the idea of these guys not being uh, enabled with superhero powers is kind of cool, and that yeah. they're really just you know they're they're learning some martial arts themselves. So that, that's kind of neat to me. But at, at any rate, there's a lot of um, uh, bonus interviews uh, with Weta Workshop and Vigo Mortensen that we couldn't fit in the film that we put in there, and some stuff at an armory museum. And there's a, a how to forge a blade. There's like the whole oh, wow. process of going from a block of steel to uh, creating, a, creating a sword. So the, the double-disc set is, is a lot of fun. There's a lot of extra stuff on there. Now, is, but, that, is that actually available? When is that actually available for purchase? It is, it is available for purchase. Actually, it just became available two days ago. Okay. And um, where, where we're actually shipping. We were taking pre-orders on our site. Um, so you can order it right now from our website. It's also available on iTunes, but... The iTunes uh, movie doesn't include the uh, four-hour bonus disc. Right, right, and right, then in, right. on May 5th, it's going to actually be in stores. Okay. It'll be, you know, Borders, uh, you know, Blockbuster, Barnes & Noble, that kind of thing. Walmart, I think, is going to pick it up later in the summer. Right, so it'll right. be actually out in retail stores later on. Well, good. Cool. Um, just to, I've got one question from uh, one of our readers and listeners of the podcast. Sure. Uh, this is Isaac. He has his own little podcast. He calls The Real Podcast. He says... Um, do you think the idea of swords in our modern-day society is being exclusively something for children to play with or for lonely nerds to hang on their wall has damaged our culture? Um, could you repeat the question? Sure, sure. I, this, I'm, I'm not going to take the time to dog on Isaac, but uh, he, basically he's asking, do you think that he, he's coming with a preconceived notion that swords are looked at mainly as something for kids to play with as a child's toy. Um, right. Or, or for something for guys who are just into it to kind of hang on their wall for decorations. And he's yeah. saying, do you think that has kind of damaged our culture? Do you think, I guess what he's asking is, do you think we've come to a point where, um, I go to Star Wars, or the first Star Wars, where Ben Kenobi is telling Luke about the lightsaber. And yeah. he says, you know, it's a more elegant weapon for more civilized age. Sure, sure. Um, do you think do you we've think lost we some of that? Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, you know, it's funny, I was in Walmart the other day and I saw Nerf, you know, makers yeah, yeah. of the Nerf football and the and the, the wonderful Nerf, don't, doesn't Nerf make that, that wonderful bat, the big, uh, maybe they don't do wiffle ball bats, I don't know. Right, right. I've got some fond memories of, of some, some, some martial arts with a wiffle ball bat. There you bat. go, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I think I think um, I think your listener is correct. I mean, um, there we have really gotten away from what the sword is about, and uh, but that's okay to me, you know, in a way, because everyone experiences the sword differently. Um, for some of us, you know, we may just want to, um, you know, buy a, a beautiful, you know, antique and and hang it on the wall, and and for others, you know, as children, you know, I mean. 
everyone, you know, as a kid, you know, you pick up a stick, another kid picks up a stick, and it's it's kind of like this, you know, no one even tells you how to how to you know play act this stuff, but you just it's like instinctive, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so no, I think all of that's okay. Even the Nerf sword that they that they are marketing <laughs> now uh, is is okay in my book because. Because really, I mean, the sword is, is, is big enough, I think, to accommodate um, all of these things, big and small. And so, and if you're really interested in it, in it, the martial arts of it or the history of it, it's there for you to explore. And um, for those of us, you know, partic- me in particular, I'm actually not really into martial arts myself. Right. Um, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with um, uh, stunt choreography. That, that fascinates oh, wow. me a bit, Yeah. And you know, having Bob Anderson on the film and and all the stunt choreography that he did with the sword, yes. uh, was yeah. was a lot of fun to um, to sit down and talk to him. I didn't realize how immersed in 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 film he was with his stunt choreography. I mean, you know, when he talks about the Princess Bride and and that right. particular fight between Inigo Montoya and Wesley, you know, who we thought was the Dread Pirate Roberts at the time. Uh, and and I got to thinking as I was watching, I'm like, that is a very intense fight. That's such a huge little fight scene they've got going there with the swords. But I didn't realize that he had been involved in that. He was involved, you know, you've already said with Errol Flynn, of course, the Darth Vader thing. So much that one guy was involved in it. He must have been fascinating to, to yeah. speak with. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. uh, um, uh, Zorro. Goodness, he he even did a film uh, with Vigo after Lord of the Rings, which he worked on as well, called Alatriste. So oh, okay. um, it wasn't released in the United States, and it was a Spanish film. Uh, actually, uh, it, it, you know, the language of the film was Spanish. It was produced in Spain. Um, so, but no, he's he's a legend, and and not just him, but there's a lot of great, wonderful uh, stunt choreographers out there. When I was when I was a kid growing up, we used to perform stunt uh, fights and and things for my grandmother, oh, and oh she would just <laughs> she would just go nuts watching us run around, you know, fake punching each other and stuff. To me, I, I, that's the kind of stuff that just really really fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but I, I love the martial arts of it too. But I'm not, um, you know, I'm not that good to be yeah, honest. There you, yeah, there you go. So yeah, there you, go. you gotta you gotta pick and choose what what you're good at. And, um, but, but no, I mean, there's so many ways to enjoy the sword. And even if you're into just the history of the sword, yeah. um, sure. That's another way that we can appreciate it. I've got, okay. I've got just a couple more questions for you. Sure. You got some time. Sure. Take um, it. Yeah, no problem. When, when you talk about you, you wrote and directed this particular film, what goes into a writing a documentary? I mean, how does one go about saying I'm going to write now this documentary? Sure. That's a really good question. Because that was uh, a big question that I had uh, when we started. Because I got to be honest with you, this is this is the first this is uh, first film that I've ever uh, ever done. Okay. So um, and and um, so obviously, you know that that's a brilliant question and a question I was just you know how do you how do you even because you know I'd written this this feature narrative script which is simpler in a way because you're just dealing with dialogue and action so you just you know you have a little direction notes in there and and that's how a narrative script is written but how do you write a documentary script i mean you know you know i I really i did so much research into it i I basically never really found the answer (laughs) so i think i think there are essentially two ways to go about it there there's a documentary film where you really script it and and you um 
you know, you kind of, you know, you, you write questions, almost like what you, what you did for my interview. You wrote questions which guide, uh, you know, how, how we approach the subject. So, so you're almost kind of documentary filming right now by oh, well, interviewing okay. me. Okay. Because you know you write the questions and you yeah. can't say what I'm gonna you can't script what I'm gonna say but you can write the questions and kind of lead the conversation. So um, so there's that aspect of it. But there's but there's also the um, documentary filmmaker um, which is, I would put myself in this category, which tries to leave themselves selves open to the story, and tries to maybe leave themselves open to the conversation and allow uh, the story to kind of go wherever it's gonna go. So. Um, I did have to make a decision early on to not focus on one person because I know a lot of documentaries focus on one strong sure, character. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they follow him around and what he eats for breakfast and how he <laughs> associates with his wife and his kids. You know, right, you know I right. thought about that for a minute, but then I realized um, I had a sort of an epiphany at some point, and it was like, you know, the main character of this film has to be the sword. Yeah, and yeah. I also allowed myself to sit down with the editor. Once we compiled all the interviews and we had all of our cutaway and we had everything together, um, I, I had lots of long uh, conversations and, and late night uh, you know, sessions with our editor who actually edited the film together. So, so kind of the biggest thing that I could tell people for documentary filmmaking is work with an outline, a really solid outline. But be flexible with it, you know. It's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. that way you 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 allow the the story to kind of reveal itself to you even. And I I felt like in a way when I was making the film, it really just revealed itself to me as as I was making it. I didn't have a grand design, you know. This is you know what I mean. Like this yes, is yes. what I want to do. I, I I tried to remain open to it, and then once I saw what it was, then I jumped on it, and then I tried to you know make that entertaining because ultimately that's that's the bottom line is is it has to be entertaining yeah well you know you talk about you, you to back to the three chapter thing or the three act part of sure the thing. Mm-hmm. you know it seems to be that there's one individual it's, interviewee who kind of dominates each act and they kind of drive the conversation you know and yeah and, and um and, and and now that and i and i don't think about that until you're just talking to me about there's not one person that you follow the whole time but there is you know in each area in each field whether it be the cinema or the art of it or the loss of it, you know, the history of it, that sort of thing, there seems to be the one person who kind of drives that particular chapter or that particular section by the conversation you're having with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then all the other stuff just kind of supports what this person is saying. It, it's really a neat process to me just to uh, – because that's the one thing I've been thinking about since I, I knew I was going to have this interview with you is, how do you write this thing? And and yeah. so I'm really glad to get to ask you. But then secondly, I guess my second question is, sure. how do you go about directing then a documentary? I mean, because this is a yeah. different, again, it's a different thing than a narrative type film. Yeah. yeah. What did you find the challenges to directing a documentary yeah. are? Well, that's, that's a really good question too. I love talking about filmmaking stuff because at the heart and soul of it, um, you know, I'm a filmmaker, you know, yeah. I'm not a martial artist. I'm, I'm a filmmaker. Right. I love these kind of questions, but, um, I'll just give you an example to kind of answer that question. Uh, when we, when we did our shoot at, at Weta Workshop in New Zealand, um, I, I really wanted to get some shots of, of the swords close up and completely black background and kind of. You know, I had this idea of like, okay, can we spin the sword and make it look like it's swiveling around? And 
so we can catch the light coming off of it and really get the detail. And so again, it was it was all about the sword again. So it was about getting these beauty shot, beauty shots. Yeah. Um, and somebody said in New Zealand, they said, you know, this is a bit like making sword porn. You know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of an interesting interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. But but no, we were. I mean, we were. You know, it was like. We didn't put on, you know, we didn't put on some funky '70s music and, you know, turn the lights sure. down and everything. But, yeah. but no, I mean, we kind of, we kind of put the mood lighting on and just, you know, really did these beauty, beauty shots of the sword. Really, is is what is what it was. So the direction kind of comes out in in um, visually, I think. Yeah. And then, of course, for me, um, the direction obviously came out in music because. Um, I used to work in the music industry, actually. I worked in the music industry in the 90s. I worked for Broadcast Music Incorporated, BMI, and I, I worked for a couple of record companies. And then, as you know, in the 90s, the, the music industry kind of, the whole bottom fell out. Sure. And I actually was laid off from my, from my job uh, working in the record industry. And um, so I had, to, I had to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my yeah, life, yeah. you know? So, um, and th- I've actually since learned that there's been a couple of, more than a couple of, of industry, music industry people that have segued into film. Um, but I think it's an easy transition in a way because um, our, our soundtrack is going to be on Lakeshore Records, so, so look for that as well. And, and the soundtrack to me was, was really a, a place to start, you know, visually and cinematically. And one thing I kept telling people over and over again, whether it was the editor or the animator or the music person or the, you know, we hired a composer to actually do... Yeah an orchestral score that was recorded in Prague with, you know, real instruments. And so, I mean, one of the things that I kind of kept saying over and over to people was, I don't want this to be like a documentary documentary, and I don't want it to be like a History Channel documentary. I want it to feel epic, as epic as it can. And I want it to be more of a journey rather than information. So that was something that, um, you know, speaking in vague terms, you have to kind of convey that type of information. And right. You know, I, I don't think we've created a new genre, but at the same time, I haven't really seen a film quite like what we've created. It's it's sort of um, a different type of approach to a historical documentary. It it really is. I mean, you may, you say that, and and as I think about it, because because watching it, I guess going in knowing, because someone says, well, "What is this about?" You say, "Well, it's about swords," and they're like, "Oh," and you know, you kind of. If you're just talking about it, you feel like, wow, this could be a History Channel type thing, which I love watching History Channel and Discovery Channel. But then as you sit and watch this, this film, it is something completely different. I mean, you know, it, is, it is just so engaging uh, to each individual chapter, and everyone you talk to in their own way is so engaging about the subject and about the, the topic. And um, the one artifact, the one archaeological thing, you know, that's really there is that, that old, old sword where they're kind of breaking it down. Just that yeah. was amazing. I mean, it's just so neat, so incredible. Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, you know, the, the difficulty I think television has with producing documentaries uh, on history is, one, they have to produce so much content, sure, they're sure. just p- pushing this stuff out like crazy. And, two, they have to work with all these producers. No, you can't yeah. do that. No, you can't do that. No, we're, we're not going, you know what I mean? So, for me... I, I, being the producer, the writer, director, I, I mean, hell, I did whatever, whatever <laughs> I wanted to do. So I wasn't, I wasn't, and I feel like that's something that, like, I mean, I hope other people, you know, you know, do something different too, because it's like, 
it enables it enables you to have the freedom to just kind of explore because I think a lot of History Channel things they're so behold they're so um, tied down to or anchored to you know you know we just have to get the history out and we just have to you know stay within these guidelines yeah or they can't really they as I say you, they can't step back and look at the mosaic of something and kind of glean something more from it but. Um, well, just wrapping things up here, because sure. I know you're, you're busy. You need to get, you need to get on with your life. Um, what are what you said earlier? You know, you're kind of a geek yourself. What are what are some things you geek out about? What really just kind of gets your geek blood flowing? Yeah, well, I hate to give a plug for the those Force FX lightsabers again, but uh, <laughs> you know, do you do you have one, Steve? I do. We... I have one of the master replicas hanging above a window in, yeah. in my Star Wars room, sir. That I have. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you know. I mean, I'm obviously a big Star Wars fan. Oh, um, cool. Carl, Carl Urban's in our film, yes. uh, and he's actually Doctor McCoy in the yep. new Star Trek film. Yep. So, yep. Uh, to give a plug for him and and that film as well, um, I, I geek out. I'm not a big gamer, although I really enjoy video games. And goodness, swords are all over video games. Yeah. But, yeah. but. Um, and I, I mainly don't get involved in video games because I'm just not that good at them. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. I understand your pain, sir. I know what you. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're you know they're quite complicated, and you know my hat's off to to these guys. Um, but um, I think probably history, and um, you know anything history related for me, Glastonbury is. I, I just I loved writing that script, and and I geek out over that whole subject because. Um, it's all about really the Holy Grail and how it came to Britain. Oh, wow. No one's ever covered that before. There's actually tons of tradition and legend and uh, about the Holy Grail, how it came to Britain. How did it come from, you know, Jerusalem to Britain? How yeah, on earth yeah. did they get there? You know, so that's what that movie, uh, you know, explores. So I'm I'm always interested in exploring something that's never been touched before. You know, sure. that's kind of a thing for me and. Um, just to let you know, um, with with our our type of historical documentary, we've got one coming down the pipe. We've already filmed everything for it. We're editing it now, and it's all on castles. And I'm oh, really wow. excited that's, about it. Yeah, that is cool, sir. Like you yeah. just you know where to push my buttons, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you'll enjoy this one. It's called Legend Castle. That's the working title right now, and um, or Castle of Legend. I'm not sure what we'll call it, but. But but there it is, and and we'll, we're going to try to do another epic uh, type uh, documentary, and and um, you know please just you know if I could just say to your listeners, um, you know if you like this type of film, uh, support it, let other people know about it, and we'll make more of them. Yeah, well that's uh, the website is uh, www.reclaimingtheblade.com, and uh, you can go and order a copy of the two disc edition of the documentary Reclaiming the Blade. It'll be in stores everywhere on May 5th. Daniel, thank you so much for being on Geek Out Loud with us today. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed talking to you, sir. My pleasure, and I, I'm a big fan of Geek Out Online, so thanks. Well, thank you. Anything you want to plug before you go? Any, anything else you need to get out there for us? No, I think we, I think we covered it, and I just really appreciate uh, you having me on. Thanks All a right, bunch. Well, thanks for coming, man. We appreciate it.
And that's going to do it for this episode of Geek Out Loud. I appreciate everyone joining us. I know there was some sound issues. Anytime you do Skype, you have those. And I tried to spend time trying to get those worked out for you, the greatest podcast listening audience in the universe. And I think we got most of them handled. But I want to thank once again uh, Kim for coming on. Remember to head over to uh, the site. You can check out at geekoutpodcast.com. There's a banner at the top of the page where you can go and donate uh, to Autism Speaks through her team at the Walk Now for Autism event that they'll be having in San Jose in May. We've got two months to get her up to about 3000 bucks, and I really believe that you, the greatest podcast listening audience in the universe, can do it. Also, a very special thank you to Daniel McNichol, the director and writer of Reclaiming the Blade, a documentary you can go pick up right now at www.reclaimingtheblade.com, and uh, you can purchase the two-disc special edition there with over four hours of bonus features on that second disc. I cannot wait to watch that. And the documentary is outstanding. I promise you, I've seen it. It's good stuff. You need to check it out. Um, Email me, geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com. I promise you, next episode, we're going to get through tons of emails once again. Now, when the next episode comes, nobody knows. We're hitting that time, just like last year, when things get a little tricky on the old uh, release times of Geek Out Loud. So hang with me, stick with me. We're going to try to make sure this happens and, and this gets done. Um geekoutonline at gmail.com the website geekoutpodcast.com or geekoutonline.com is where you'll find the blog join us in the forums geekoutpodcast.com a slash forums I use my little slash hand there slash forums come hang out with us a lot of great conversations going on in the Geek Out Loud forums can't thank you enough for being here have a great one and we'll talk to you next time Twilight talk, ladies. You get a piece of a song from the soundtrack.